Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new episode of J Guys and Jedi, a weekly podcast covering something Star Wars. In this episode, Cassian Andor joins a mission to infiltrate an Imperial garrison on Aldani. Meanwhile, on the city-covered capital of Coruscant, agents of the Imperial, Se- the Imperial Security Bureau start to piece together information regarding a disturbance on Ferrix, while Mon Mothma carefully maneuvers web of intrigue. Oh, oh sorry, there will be... Yeah! <laughs> I thought it coming. You know, it's perfect, because we... What the fuck is screaming outside? Oh, it's a frog! Sorry! Let me do that again. I just suddenly heard this noise outside my window. You got a screaming frog outside your window? Yeah. Yeah, by all means. No, no. That would definitely distract me. I just heard this sound, and it just sounded like someone going, "Ah!" And I was like, what the (laughs) fuck was that? (laughs) I just picture this frog that just has a, that can't croak right, and it's just sitting out in your lawn going, (laughs) That's exactly what it was. Okay, I'm going to do that last little part again. Yeah, um, please. So, uh, there will be... Hey, guess what, everybody? Jake Guys and Jedi has an episode for every day of the year. Because this is our official 365th episode of Jake Guys and Jedi. Woohoo! We're talking yeah. about Andor episode 4, Aldani, this week. I am Hope. How are you doing, Chris? I am Chris, and I am doing well. And hey, if anyone wants to take the... Any new listeners want to take the J guys and Jedi binge listen year challenge and listen to one episode of J guys and Jedi every day for a year. By the end of that year, you'll have 52 episodes still waiting for you. I I would actually be interested how that would go slash sound. And, and of course we we have more. Me neither. (laughs) Uh, I don't like us that much. (laughs) And I, and I live with half of us. <laughs> I, 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 you wouldn't know it, but I do not like the sound. I like the sound of my own voice when I'm blabbing away with it. But when I have to go back and listen to it, oh boy, do not like. I'm the same. That's, I, I don't, I don't like the sound of my own voice too. Like, that's why, like, whenever I listen to, uh, for light and dice, I'm like, I'm the worst part of all of this. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you could always do a cartoon. Really... Of, you could do a cartoon of everybody in the podcast listening to it, and just have have that thought balloon coming out of every single person. That's just, I think, that's sort of a human, especially when you're listening to yourself. It's just like, oh, everyone is just so like talented, and then I just talk, and I'm like, oh, I sound terrific. <laughs> And I'm also, I'm, I'm, I'm also like my, like the worst character, and everyone's so talented. My character sucks. It's fine. <laughs> so I just one of the formative artistic moments in my life 
was there was uh, this other uh, this band that used to play around the same time that we did, and they were from like uh, Massachusetts, but they would come through here all the time, and we sort of hit off a friendship with the the lead guy in the band, and uh, and I would watch their band and go like, <clears throat> now there is a real band, you know, there's somebody who's got their shit together. They're really good. They're original and they're entertaining. You know, they've really got their shit tied down and they're very, t- everybody in there is super talented, way beyond what I could ever like, you know, imagine playing, you know. And uh, <laughs> at one point, the guy came up to me and another pers- person in the band and said, you know, I wish I could do what you guys did do. <laughs> and we were like, what? <laughs> you can. <laughs> Hit yourself in the hammer a few, in the head with a hammer a few times and you'll... <laughs> I, I think there's a story... But it of... just blew, it blew my mind that that guy was looking at us the same way and everybody was looking at themselves like, oh, I wish I was better at what I was doing. <laughs> I know um, there's a story uh, because... At 221 Beacon, uh, which I'm going to next weekend, which I'm very excited about, they've done a lot of uh, panels on imposter syndrome. And one of the stories they opened it with is of Neil Gaiman talking about how he was struggling with imposter syndrome at this award ceremony. And he was talking with this other person. And this other person was like, yeah, me too. I just I feel like I don't belong here and that like I'm not as good as everybody thinks. And the other person was fucking Buzz Aldrin who walked on the moon. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's like part of being human. So it's like, or at least it's part of being human and not being like, you know, a super narcissist or psychopath or whatever. But like being a normal human, you know, it's mm-hmm. just like because you you you're, you're like ah, I don't expect myself to do to do that. I'm just I'm just faking it, and that's and then there's that other point when you realize oh everybody's faking it. <laughs> Einstein was faking it. Well, until he made it. I'm curious because it's been a hot minute. Very quickly, what was your thoughts on the Bad Batch finale? Very quickly, don't linger. Um, very short. It was very good. It was. Uh, I I I really like how the bat where the Bad Batch has turned in its story. You know, story go going forward and you know we're getting into the deeper story uh should have seen it coming because like there were a lot of things that i think on the second viewing were were like setting setting it up not setting it up like ooh, let's set this up in the story but like by mechanics like eh, have it you know like you start thinking about it and it's just like oh well you know they took they took um they took uh what's it what's his name away to go work with you know with Rex oh Echo and Echo who pretty much is kind of like tech in a lot of ways you know or functionally mm-hmm. like in the group so like and then put tech with Omega and like and then like gave him a romantic potential romantic interest should have seen it coming <laughs> oh that's like. standard setup you know that you you know there was a little bit of like okay like story mechanics set up into it and uh but i thought i i thought it was really well well executed and i i think the show is finally like sort of found its feet of where it's going forward you know 
and and we're at that point where probably price season three is going to be insane. So it's and, and it's dealing with the stuff that I'm really interested in, which is Palpy's clone stuff. You know, dealing with the, the clones and that whole aspect is very interesting to me. So there's a lot for them to plumb in it. So I'm, I'm I was pretty happy with it. Yeah, my very quick thing is I'm wrecked because. Uh-huh. Of course. I, <laughs> My name is Wrecker because I'm wrecked over tech. <laughs> I was I was very concerned because like I didn't know which one you watched first, but you got like I, you got I the, always watched the that crashing first. low of tech and then you got the soaring high of having um Zeb. Oh that I was very excited to see Zeb. I immediately turned and looked at my cat, and I was like, Zeb, you're on my TV! And he rolled over and looked at me. <laughs> like, what? I was just like, okay, is this going to be one of Zeb's species, or let's hear the voice? Ah, ha, ha. It, it Actually, it was funny. I recognized Steve Bloom's voice before I registered. There was a live-action Lasat on my screen. So I was like, oh, this is a neat alien that Steve Bloom is doing. Wait. <laughs> like, it was, yeah. I, I didn't register. It was a live-action Lasat. Until after for like a hot like few seconds, but I definitely recognize Steve Bloom because I'm so used to hearing his voice. Well, he um, might he might be he might be one of the best transfers from from animated to he live action. Great, yeah. He looked expensive. <laughs> he looked expensive. He did a, he did a little he did a little like thing with his lip at one point, just a little expression, you know, along with the conversation that was beautifully done and i was like that cost a lot of money that's one of those little little things that you have to add to something like this to give it that extra realism but take probably took a lot of time just the smooth movement of him too like there's one like where he like like one where he leans on the counter and then he just turns but he does that little kind of like like lean where you sway one way and then you turn it was just oh the movement was so smooth and i was like this is really expensive um yeah, yeah that's why it was only like one minute you know but <laughs> it, it does i i have two thoughts on zeb like the first one is i think they were testing the technology for ahsoka but i also think it gives them an out because a zeb has never been a pilot why is he a pilot in the new republic um but i think that gives them an out of being like zeb can't be on his, this adventure with sabine right. and and hera because he's working in the new republic now see he's over in mando um but i do because think they were yeah, just throw money to a furnace might... for every second he <laughs> exists on Say screen <laughs> because zeb's not here right now because we have to just throw bales of money into a furnace for every second he's on yeah on so to me it kind of felt like an out but i also felt like they were te- te- uh, testing the technology to where like he can make cameos here and here and there in the episode yeah, yeah. like when they actually bring back ezra they can have a zeb there to like hug him um but that that's to me that's what that told me which is if he's in part of the new republican mando he's not going to be in ahsoka um but Bad batch, very fast. Uh, it wrecked me. I thought it was a fantastic finale. I thought it was a good death. I do have tinfoil hat theories about how they're going to turn Tech into the Winter Soldier, but I, I actually, there's a big uh, strong part of me that I hope the death actually sticks. I thought it was a really, really good death. Yeah, yeah. They uh, like it was I a mean, really good death. If this show's supposed to be for, well, I guess it's supposed to be more in the Clone Wars thirteen year old, but those last few episodes were like that. Th- that was probably the most like brutal star wars torture scenes 
ever put in Star Wars, and it was in the Bad Batch. Like, like they kept, they just kept, they started it to where you wouldn't see the, you wouldn't see the needle in the side of his neck, but you would just see his body convulsing horribly. Mm-hmm. But then, like in in the next episode, up oh, there's a needle going in his neck. You know, it was it was br- brutal, and yeah. uh, it was it was weird. And and that was the other thing I was going to say. Because I'll talk more about like yeah. the whole thing when we get there, because that's actually our next show, so we'll be there in a couple months. Um, but I, I thought it was a solid second season. I really liked the direction. Um, I love Hemlock as a villain. Uh, but I do have kind of mixed feelings about the reveal of Omega's sister. So we'll we'll get to all that. But I thought it was a very solid finale. And my God, I did not see Saul Guerrero coming from a mile away. And the moment I saw him, I went, there's going to be that a makes, season three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, and, because and they were knocking him out, like, and they were not. Say what? That wasn't just, a, I thought that was a nice little story thing is they get there just in time for like their quote-unquote ally to be <laughs> destroying the place yeah so, yeah, yeah. and and i also yeah. liked um that because you know we we all expected them to get to mount tantis rescue crosshair blah 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 and at the moment i saw saw i was just like this is not happening they're not going to get to mount tantis there's going to be a season three and this is all about to go way off the rails. Yeah, literally. Yeah, yep. I'm, I'm no. here for it. Yep. Um, but we're not there yet. Let's talk about some Andor. What did you Let's think of this it. episode, Chris? It's good. Um, this the, the uh, this might be this might be my least favorite episode, but that's once again doesn't mean a lot because i love the the especially on the second viewing this episode is just like not a lot seems to happen in it but it's packed 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 full of as you'll see by the length of the show it's packed full of stuff and and things get it's it's leveled up you know they had the first arc and now they're 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 leveling up the complexity and the characters in it number of characters and uh Boy, oh boy, there's a lot to lot going on in it. Here's my thing. I like I like everything you just said. I like the episode. It's really good. It does a lot of setup. It's almost too dense. It is so dense. It, it almost doesn't have a shape to it. It almost feels like it has to be there to present all this information going forward. Although, you know, and it's when I say this, I'm like. Yeah, but it doesn't really hamper like I mean, I was I was like glued to this episode from beginning to end, especially on a second viewing and there's so much. I actually have more notes for this than I had for the other other three episodes before this, but because um I I have two kind of thoughts about it because the interesting thing was I I watched this recently with my stepmom and uh who is not a Star Wars person versus me who is and this episode is dense for me, a Star Wars person. There are things that this is my like fourth time watching this episode that I'm still catching details up because it's just so thick and with everything and dense. Um, and there are just things that my stepmom just did not get because it was too Star Warsy. And mm. I, I, I do, I, I go back and forth on that because. 
I had to sit down and explain several things. And and to be honest, I don't think this is a very good introduction to Mon Mothma. If this is somebody, you know, a casual person who, who, who a, a normal person who was just like, oh, everyone's talking about Andor. I'll watch it. I've never really dove into Star Wars and blah, blah, blah. It's not a good intro to Mon Mothma. I think it's a good intro, but it's not great. It's yeah, it's fine. Yeah. So I, and, uh, I, we'll, we'll get into it. So you ready? I'm ready. Oh, here we actually let me take a drink of my water. <laughs> you can cut this out. Do you have a Yoda question? I cannot think of one for the fucking life of me. Jeez, I have. Um, what happens in this show? There was there. I was trying to think. There's like nothing. I was like, I can't pull anything from the show for a Yoda question. Three hundred sixty-five days of Yoda. Okay. There we go. Three sixty-five days of Yoda. Uh, best Yoda moments. We'll figure it out. We'll we'll figure it out in two minutes when we get there. So. All right, you ready? I'm ready. Andor episode 4 Aldani aired on Disney Plus on September 28th, 2022. It was written by Dan Gilroy and was directed by Susanna White. And fun fact, Dan and Tony Gilroy are fraternal twins. I learned a thing. Some extra information for you. A lot of people showed up in this episode. Here we go, you guys. Genevieve O'Reilly is back, reprising her role as Mon Mothma. She has also portrayed the character in Star Wars animation and in Rogue One. Dedra Miro is played by Denise Gao. The actress loved getting to play a female character climbing up a male-dominated setting, as well as showing how, to pr- how the pursuit of power and fascism poses danger on anyone regardless of gender. She had a really qu- great quote. I'm um, sorry, this is a segue. I wrote an article about how she had a really great, great quote at a convention. And the, the uh, quote was, uh, yes, uh, Dedra is a woman in a man's world, but she's also a fascist in a fascist world. <laughs> and I was like, that's a good quote. What's wrong with that? Uh, where am I? Major Partigas is played by Anton Lesser, who was in Game of Thrones and The Crown. Lieutenant Blevin is played by Ben Bailey-Smith. Fun fact, he originally auditioned for the role of Lando in Solo, but he lost it to Donald Glover. Supervisor Lonnie Young is played by Robert Ems, who was in the Jurassic World franchise, especially the animated series, and Chernobyl. Phil Sartha is played by Fabe Marseille, who was the waif in Game of Thrones and beat the shit out of Arya Stark. Uh, Marseille felt more pressure in a Star Wars franchise over Game of Thrones because she was playing a main character, and also, she wasn't much of a Star Wars fan when coming into the series. Karis Nimick is played by Alex... Okay, I have a thing about this one. Karis Nimick is played by Alex Lothar, who is known from the show Into the Fucking World, and also, he plays a fascist in the Owl House as the voice of Philip Winnebane. Which threw me for a loop because he plays Nimic here, but his character is not only a fascist in Owl House, he is a religious fascist in Owl House and part of the worst witch hunts in American history. He is that character. And I was just like, wow, that is a stretch from one to the other. (laughs) 
I definitely had a moment of just being like, oh my God. And then when I was listening to the, this episode, I couldn't unhear him as Philip Littlebane. So I'm also sad because Owl House ends on Saturday, just to date this episode. And I'm very sad about that. That's my little Owl House rant. Go watch it. It's a really good show on Disney+. Plus. So, <clears throat> Arvel Skeen is played by Ebon Moss Barak, who is known from Girls and the Punisher. Tamarin Bark, uh, Bark, meh, meh, meh. Taramin Barcona is played by Gershwin Eustache. Ooh, I meant to look up this name. Uh, Jern? I think it's Jern. I apologize for that. Gershwin Eustache Jern, who is known for Britannia and Fortitude. Syntacaz is played by Veranda Sethu, who's who said you about think her that's character. like some weird version of Junior? I looked it up. It's not. Oh. It's not Junior. Um, it, it, the last name is it's uh, it's JNR, so it's it's not Junior because that was my first thought too. Um, Senta Kaz is played by Verada Sethu, who said about her character. To me, it makes sense that Senta wasn't saying a lot because this is someone who's been through so much and is suffocating in her own rage and anger at the injustice of it all. I just thought that was a really good line of suffer uh, suffocating from her own rage and anger. Good line. Lieutenant Gorin is played by Sol Remy, who, who has been in many of the National Theatre Live productions. Edie Karn is played by Catherine Hunter, who is a stage actor but has also been in The Tragedy of Macbeth and Rome. Cleo Marquis is played by Elizabeth Dulau, who is an up-and-coming actress with only a handful of roles like Gentleman Jack in Rome and uh, Gentleman Jack in Maternal. This is like her fourth role, and she fucking destroys this show as Cleo. Um, per, uh, Perrin Fertha is played by Alistair McKenzie from The Crown and for Unforgotten, and Dedra Assistant Hurt is played by Jacob James Burswick from A Spy Among Friends in 1917. Mon Mothma's driver Cloris is played by Lee Ross, Supervisor Legrette is played by Michael Jinn, and Supervisor Grandi is played by Lucy Russell! Ah! <laughs> we got through everybody! Cassian mentions fighting on Mimbam, which is the same planet that Han Solo fought on for fought for the Empire in Solo, a Star Wars story. The and, Ar- and it is also the setting for Splinter of the Mind's Eye, the first sequel to Star Wars. You are correct. And it is I a muddy end that like so so when Splinter of the Mind's Eye took place, it was after they they pro- probably won on Mimbam, which was muddy as hell and cassian starts talking about all the mud in on mimbin and i I was i love it i love it we did the reason i didn't note that is because i'm 99.9 percent positive we talked about that in our solo commentary i'm sure we did i'm 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 pretty sure sure i did and i'm sure i forgot i did that's all right it's good you know what not everybody has listened to our solo commentary so it's fine we should mention it again so Um, the Auburn sector in Scarif, mentioned by Lonnie, has increased traffic because, you know, there's a big old Death Star out there being built. The script identified, I just thought this was really funny because this is one of those, like, Star Wars things where I'm just like, just call it fucking shaving cream. <laughs> the script identified the shaving cream that Cassian uses as the in-universe term foamy gel clean. Just call it fucking shaving cream. It's fine. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there's there's a part. I I wish I could remember the zap terms, but there was a there's a part in one of the Thrawn books where Timothy Zahn wrote this thing called like the metal teeth the metal teeth clasper, and I had no idea what the 
fuck he was talking about because he kept talking about this clasper on metal teeth. And then I was talking to a friend about it, and she was like, "Yeah, it's a zipper." Oh, jeez. I was just like, "Just call it a fucking zipper, Timothy's on." Because I, for the entire book, I had no idea what the fuck they were talking about because it was actually a plot point. Zipper and be done with it. It was a plot point for the book, so it's something that came up constantly. And I was just like, just don't call it foamy gel, Clint. Just call it shaving cream. The, the Star Wars won't explode. We we all freak out because we can't say shit, but we get how foamy gel, Clint. Whatever. Um, where am I? The sky blue kyber that Luthen gives Cassian was to commemorate the uprising of the Radican invaders. The Radican were an ancient spacefaring conquerors central to the plot of Knights of the Old Republic video game. And finally, no, I am not going into all the Easter eggs of Luthen's shop. Just go watch a YouTube yeah, video. Yeah, there's enough videos of them if you really, yeah, if they you really have to. They change every episode. They change every episode. I'm not going to do it every episode. Go watch Easter egg videos, but I will say I really like the Calicori. I think it's, it's like really- the only concession to fan service, really, in this whole show. And like, at least they found a a a, a way to do it that isn't ridiculous, but gives everybody a you know an opportunity to do what they really love to do, which is, you know, frame by framing through and looking stuff up on the internet, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, the closest, the, the next closest thing I can think of is like having like Yolaren there, but they give like no fanfare to Yolaren. You, they don't yeah, actually. It, even... I mean, you could say Mon Mothma too and stuff like that, but it's done. It's like, like we'll get into Mon Mothma, but you were saying her intro was like, well, Maybe I, I, they might have bled it a little bit just to not put a big fa- fanfare to it because she is a like canonical character from way back into into the original trilogy. So yeah, and the thing is, is like most people would have most people would have seen Rogue One. I would say before watching this. So like watching this with my stepmom. Um, is a unique thing because she has not seen Rogue One. And Mon Mothma is, of course, cut out of the prequels. She's not in the prequel movies, which my stepmom has seen, but all of Mon Mothma's scenes were cut. So, like, it, it was a really unique situation of her literally having no idea who this person was because she hasn't seen Rogue One because we're going to watch that after Andor's finish. Yeah, so. that's, a, that's okay because it's sort of in chronological order. So, like, then she'll go oh. like, oh, who's that? And then they'll make... R- Return of the Jedi even more special for her. you know she'll be like oh my god I know her yeah we're we're not even um gonna be watching Rogue One once we finish season one like we're gonna finish Andor like that's not coming until season two of Andor so um but yeah just go go watch a video of Luthen's Easter eggs I'm I'm not gonna go through them so Yoda. <laughs> Guess what? Yoda's been Yoda ate all his Easter eggs this year for oh. Easter. Hmm? I do, I do have a soft spot for Easter, even though I'm not religious. But it's wonderful because my aunt always cooks a shit ton of food for Easter, and I'm like, yeah, let's go, <laughs> free food. <laughs> Yoda has an Easter joke. All right, tell me. Easter, Yoda. Yoda knows her hardly even. Aww. That's it. I like that one. Well, Yoda, I don't really have a question. I just wanted to tell you something. Mm-hmm. We have uh, had 
365 days of Yoda questions and advice. Yes, maybe Yoda should should publish a book or 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 one of those little calendars that you rip off each one with that advice would actually, for every day. That would actually be a lot of fun. Um, yeah, Lucasfilm probably already has done, but not with Yoda's permission. Yoda would want to write new ones. They probably took them off from movie. Yoda did not write those. Yoda wants to write his own daily affirmations. And, and remember the first half, it was our little uh, Yoda quotes in bed. Yes, 365 yeah. days of Yoda in bed. <laughs> I miss that. I do. I miss Yoda that so much. in bed. You gotta get more throaty. Like, get the, like, get the, like the mucus in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a while since we've had one of those. It's been a hot minute since we've had a, a Yoda in bed. Yeah, a moist minute. Yeah, a moist minute. Oh, but yeah, I just thought it was it was cool, and that's not a bad idea. I kind of like that idea of like a little Yoda yeah. wisdom calendar. Yes. Well, should should listen every day for a year just to hear Yoda. We should, we should, because you are oh so wise and oh wise so... is Yoda. Wise. And, and so moist in bed. And full of eggs. <laughs> oh, did you Oh, did you eat all the eggs that Grogu ate his eggs? Hey, hey, Yoda eats eggs, shells and all. Shells and all. Mm, Speaking yeah. of which, did you what? see that Grogu got knighted? I did flute lady knights Grogu. Not Jedi Knight though. Haha, <laughs> Yoda's Jedi Knight. Well, I guess he was Well, you're a Jedi Master now. Yeah. Grogu's just knighted by Flute Lady and King Kong guy. Hey, we do not in this house we respect Lizzo and Jack Black. You put respect on their name. Uh, should have had Yoda there, in there, in, in their beautiful city. Not well, Grogu. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll make up for. I'll, I'll make it up to you, and we'll start getting working on that calendar idea. How calendar for Yoda, yes. Calendar for Yoda, and we'll make Every a lot day. of money off the Yoda calendar. Every day, check on Yoda. Mm. <laughs> well, we gotta get on to this episode, Yoda, because it's a very long episode. So we will see you for the next 365 days. Bye. There he goes. There he goes. Yep. There he goes. <laughs> there he goes. <laughs> oh, Jesus. There he goes again. There's a song. Yeah, I, I, I'm old. I hear. There he goes. Miss America. <laughs> so merge those songs. There's the songs of the episode, everybody. Give me one second. I'm going to mute myself so I can blow my nose before I get into this crazy thing. Okay. Mm, there we go. Ah, that was perfect. All right. Well, oh, you ready to get into this fucking dense episode? Let's do, let's do it. Let's dense it up. I definitely have a moment where I was like, I am five pages into, like, like three, four pages into these notes, and I'm only 14 minutes into this episode. What let's, the fuck? Let's, 
Let's wrap these super horny goats up. <laughs> I know it's a very lame They're the joke. The only animals I, in the whole episode, so I know it's a lame joke. But I love goats, and one of my notes in all caps and big letters is just goats. <laughs> I love like, goats. What do we do with these goats? I don't know. Just throw some more horns on them. It'll be good. Goats. <laughs> it's pretty good. Goats. Yeah, it's pretty good. I love it. I love it. Anyway. <clears throat> We open with Cassie and Lucian. Lucian? Cassie. <laughs> Lucian Malfoy? Uh, no, that's Lucius Malfoy. Or Luscious? I don't know. We open with Cassie. Luscious and... Malfoy. That's his drag name. Uh, yeah. Oh, no, we can't have drag. It's JK Rowling. That makes it even better. I know, right? We open with Cassie and Luthen, and they are running from Ferrix because, you know, they just blew up Cyril Karn and his best friend, and, you know cause some mayhem and they're heading for Eldani and Cassie is like I just got kidnapped again and Luthen's like yep and I have a job for you do you want to come to Eldani with me and Cassie's like do I have a choice and Luthen's like kind of not really though peer pressure and Cassie's like we're not peers you're like 30 years older than me and he's like fuck you here's a med pack you're bleeding on my floor and so Essentially what it is is that Luthen tells Cassian that he has a big job against the Empire and that he wants to like really like stick it in there. And Cassian's like, oh, you're one of those rebel people. Yeah, no, you just dropped me off. I, I don't I, I don't want to because I don't you know, I, I, I tried the fighting thing on Mim Bam and I saw Han Solo for like five minutes across the way. We kind of waved awkwardly at each other, and it just it didn't work for me, you know? And Luthen's like, oh, that's cute, because you were cooking ran away. Anyway, would you like some foreshadowing, Mr. Andor? Because you'll ultimately die fighting these bastards. So why don't you do a lot of cool spy shit before Rogue One, huh? You want to? For $200,000, you want to do a bunch of little cool spy shit before Rogue One? And Cassian's like, all right, cool. I will happily join you for that much money how are we gonna get that money and Luthen's like we're gonna steal the quarterly payroll of an entire imperial sector aka a shit ton of money which Hope didn't realize until the heist episode because I used to do payroll and I took payroll as in like the information of people's like bank accounts and I was like oh they're stealing information no they're actually stealing literal money I mean yeah I mean it seems like they would be doing that that they would be able to do to uh, do cyber banking in, in the Empire, but oh well. Yeah, my that was my... I thought they were selling like, people's like identities, and no, I was like, they, that's cool. That's very spy of them. And the no, fact that cool. the Empire is paying out in cash is super sketchy, but it's the Empire, so okay. Yeah, this is a long way of saying Hope was really confused for like two, for, like, two weeks. Because <laughs> I didn't realize they were stealing actual money. Anyway... So, uh, yeah, and so they're going to go steal a shit ton of money. And then we go to my favorite planet of Coruscant, and we meet our favorite lady fascist, Dedra Muro, who is just like, having a great day, welcome to her job at the ISB. And if you want to know what the ISB is, it's the same place that Alexander Callis 
worked at in Rebels, and I had to sing, I had to sing it one time for old time's sake because we're at the ISB. Anyway, she's in a meeting with all of her crusty old fart people in the ISB, and they're working under Major Partagas, and she's all like, "Yeah, what's up? I loved you in Game of Thrones," and he's like, "Yeah, thanks. I don't have time for anybody's bullshit because you all suck at your jobs." And at this meeting, there's a lot of subtle things going on, like Ryloth. You know, because that's where Hera and her super hot dad Sham live, and they're doing some rebel stuff. And they talk about Scarab, because, you know, there's a big old Death Star happening right there. And Party Gaz is like, oh my god, yes, I hear you, but everyone's behind their work. What do we do here? And Dedra throws up her hand, the A-plus student she is, and she's like, we are here to be really good ISB agents and fight for the Empire and root out evil. And, she, and Party Gaz is like, good show and wrong. Whatever that Luke Skywalker line is. Everything you've said is wrong. And he talks about how they're actually doctors looking for symptoms of rebellion. And so, and then, then Dedra like kind of slowly puts down her hand. She's like, okay, I got the problem right. And then we see Blevin. And Blevin's like Dedra's mini rival. And he's just all like, you got the question wrong. And she's like, fuck you. And he's like, fuck you too. And, but Blevin's important because he's the dude that's in charge of Ferrix. And he mentions that there is a thing that happened in Ferrix, you know, see the last three episodes. And there was a Star Path unit. And remember how for the last three episodes I told you to put a pin in the Star Path unit? This is why. Because that Star Path unit belongs to Dedra's people. And she's all like, heck yeah, I get to be a main character now because that's in my jurisdiction. Yeah. Meanwhile, Cassie and Luthen get to Aldani. And Cassian has to pick a pseudonym, so he goes by his dad's name, and it just breaks my heart, and I love that. So, he goes by Clem, and for this we're going to call him Clemcian, <laughs> because I just make the rules. And as they're landing, Luthen sees Val, and Luthen looks at Cassian, and he's like, Do you want to see a really angry lesbian? Because you're about to see one. I'm going to go talk to her. And he walks out. And before he walks out, though... Luthen stops, and he takes off this kyber crystal, and he's like, do you see this kyber crystal? He's like, yeah. And Luthen's like, this is, you know, a nod towards Rogue One, because Jen Erso had one, and now you have one, and it's also a down payment. Don't lose it. I might be a secret Jedi. We'll see if that, how, if that theory plays out. And now I'm going to go talk to the very mad, a angry lesbian. And he walks outside, and guess what? Val's a very mad, angry lesbian! <laughs> because the rival of Clemson... Clemson is going to absolutely wreck- I mean, okay, actually, I'm not going to st stick with the Clemson thing, because now that I'm actually saying it out loud, it's kind of dumb, and I it's, it's hard to say. Uh, it's going to wreck her team. And Luthen is like, well, you wanted to be a leader. Figure it the fuck out, rich girl. And she's like, how dare you? We have been sleeping on these rocks and eating roots, and you're going to pay this guy to do that. To, like, come in here and be a mercenary. And Luthen's like, yeah. Because if you don't take him, I'm going to call it off. You want it or not? And she's like, fine. Cassian, get your ass out of here, Clem. And he's like, cool. Meanwhile, with the mall cops, Blevin is all like, Hi, mall cops. I'm here to chew you out, Cyril Karn. Because you're not real. You're real people. And not real people. Well, they're not real people. They're fascists. Um, you're not real, Imperials. So I'm going to chew you out, you and your friend Linus and their boss. And the boss is like, I wasn't even in the last episode. Why am I getting fired? And Cyril in particular gets chewed out because Marlana is now going from mall cops to actual Imperials. 
So good job, Cyril. You did it. Only you're just getting kicked out too, so. They go back to Cassie and Vel, and they're marching through the wilderness of Aldani. And Cassian's like, so who's that Luthan guy? And she's like, we never, we don't talk about, we don't talk about Luthan, no, no, no. We don't talk about Luthan. There's a song of the episode, even though I'm pretty sure we've used, we don't talk about Bruno before, but it's fine. Um, because none of the other people working with them know about Luthan, except for maybe Senta, because of later episodes. Senta might know, but we'll see. Anyway, they're going to be robbing a garrison, and Cassian's like, oh, wait, what? He said we're stealing money. We're robbing a fucking garrison. And she's like, yep. Welcome aboard or die, dude. Let's go. Oh, look, a TIE fighter. And they hide. Meanwhile, back with Dedra, uh, she's hanging out with Hirt. I don't think they ever say her assistant's name. So I, it's H-E-E-R-T. I read it as Hirt. <laughs> so she's hanging out with Hirt, her assistant. And they're looking for the star path unit in depth Blevins report and they find it which means they can move in on Blevins shit and continue their bitchy ass petty rivalry and Coruscant Luthan arrives and he puts on his fancy man outfit and he puts on his own wig and he does his own rings and he walks in and he's all classy and yeah and we go back to Val and Cassian, and they take a break. And she gives him a little mini history lesson about Aldani and how it's basically what they did on Lothal. And they took the Empire took only a decade to wipe out centuries of cultures. And she also mentions that Aldani is a lot like Lothal, that it's close to everything and nothing at the same time. The only reason I'm bringing this up because it's one of my notes. Back with baddies. They're just like, sup, Levin? I want your reports. And he's just like, fuck you, you've only been here for a year. And we do get a touch of Duchess' backstory because no one really respects her because she's only been here with a, for a year. And Blevins like, "Ew, you gotta be here longer before you backstab you, bitch." And she's like, "I'll tell you what, I'm gonna go to our boss. Fuck you." And she walks out. And Vel and Cassian arrive at camp, and everything's tense. Tense. And Vel is just like, "All right, everyone, gather around. This is Clem, or Clemsian, or Classian, whatever you want. Clem, this is Nemec." who we learn a lot of very specific details about up front for reasons. This is Skeevy Skeen. This is Tamarin, who you, who needs more screen time and we don't really get much about. And Senta, the silent stabby lesbian. And later you're going to meet Sadgorn. This is the team! And the team is pissed! Because they're like, why is he here? Why is Clem here like three days beforehand? Except for Nimic. And Nimic's like, new friend! And Bella's like, I'm the boss! And I'm in charge, so we're gonna do as I say, and this was always the plan, guys! I'm Vel, the boss! <laughs> and the group is like, alright, and so they start getting Clem ready, part of the group, and Cassian's like, haha, I'm gonna die! As Sinta's cleaning the wounds, Tamron and Skeen grill Vel about Clem, and Nimic is like, I like him. He has good vibes. True believer, guys. And they're like, you think everyone's a true believer, Nimic? And he's like, yeah. 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 But we don't have time for that, everybody, because then we get to the best part of the episode. It is time for Cyril Karn to be a sad, pathetic loser hour. And he just mopes through Coruscant. And he mopes down the elevator. And he mopes to his mother's house, and she slaps the shit out of him. It is the best five minutes of Star Wars. <laughs> Give me more of it. And finally, <clears throat> we get to Mon Mothma, and she's back! 
It's Genevieve O'Reilly, everybody! She's here and it's wonderful, and she's in all her wonderful Mon Mothma glory. And we also meet Clea, who's Luthen's assistant, and I have a lot of shady thoughts about Clea. And Luthen and Mon, ha Mon have this whole, like, back and forth speaking in code because uh, Mon's driver is actually a spy for the Empire, and everybody knows this. And they're all fine with that. And Luthen and Mon get to the back room, and they talk about how it's hard for, like, Mon to get funds to give money to Luthen's little rebel group. And because of this, it's, she wants to bring a friend in her circle, which we'll get to in more episodes later. It's her friend Tay, which causes a thing, because people think they're having an affair. It's a whole drama. And Luthen's like, I'm not really down for you bringing your old friend here, because, you know... This is a super secret operation. Can you trust him? And Mon Matha's like, yeah. And he's like, no. And they're like, okay. And that's the end of the conversation. And Gorin arrives, and Gorin is very pissed at Val for bringing Clem. Because, you know, it's the thing. But what are they going to do? Gorin meets Clem, and they start treating Cassian up. Because what else are they going to do? It's fine. And Mon returns home to meet her delightfully shitty husband, Perrin. I love Perrin. He's a piece of shit. And he's one of, one of my favorite pieces of shit. And I love Perrin. And Perrin's having a dinner party, party with Masamita and Slymore. You know, people who want his wife dead. Because Perrin sucks. And Perrin and Mon's like, these people want me to die. And Perrin's like, why does everything have to be sad and boring all the time? <laughs> and Mon storms out. Because good for her. Anyway, back on Aldani, Vel is like, here's the plan. And you know Nimic is very, has these very specific skills like model building to give him all these quirky traits to get to know him very quickly so, you know, we can have him around for a while. Wink, wink. And basically, it's a heist job, and they just need Cassian to fly the ship. But Cassian is like, how are we going to get out of here very fast if there's an airbase nearby? And they plan for that because there's a thing called the Eye of Aldani, and it's a celestial event that makes big explosions in the sky. And Cassian's like, this is a suicide mi mission. Why am I getting a really bad premonition about my future? And they're like, well, take it or leave it, Clem. He's like, I guess I'm here now. And with the baddies, Blevin is trying to start a bitch fight with Dedra in front of Partagas. And Partagas is just like, guys, do your work. Dedra, you're behind on your shit. Blevin is not. Don't come to me unless you have cold hard facts. But he also kind of gives her like a little like pep, evil pep talk along the way and Blevin gives her a little evil snicker and everything ends with Clem sitting around the fire with his new team learning lessons. The end. <laughs> this episode Yay. is so dense. There's so much. There's too much in this episode. And it's all just basically people walking around talking. This is, yeah, and that's, I, I have to agree that this is probably my least favorite episode of the season two, is it's all exposition. It's all really good exposition. It's introducing a lot, a lot of characters. Um, and, but it's also one of those things is, it's it's um it's it's like one thing too much. It really is. But th at the same time, I don't know what I would cut out, except for maybe pushing Mon Mothma's I entrance either earlier or later, like an episode earlier or an episode later. But uh, it's it 
it, I don't know. It's just, it's so dense. There's so much going on. It's done well. And people are, I mean, people are used to getting used to that even more and more with stuff like Game of Thrones and stuff where they just throw a million people at you. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, all these people, they, they, they're they they're subtly written, but they're also sort of tropes, so you can sort of put together what's going on before you really know who they are completely, you know, just by the context that they're in. So I don't think it's too, like, too much. Like, I mean, on a second viewing, I'm lo I, I'm loving it. And I'm saying this is, you know, I might be saying this is my least favorite just to sort of set a spot on the, you know, on the scale. But I really, I, I really liked this episode and I really, I enjoyed it a lot more the second time. I, I, I liked this episode the first time. I loved it the second time I watched it. And then the third and the fourth time I've watched it. It starts getting into this like brain drain area of mine. Right. Just like it's it's too much because I think it after like the third well, or fourth time I'm starting to see the seams. It does. It doesn't have like a thing like a moment of catharsis within the episode, so that it doesn't lead up to anything. So it doesn't. It's not. It doesn't seem like it's really the best episode for like repeat, super repeated viewings because it's set up. It's set up for like. The next two episodes, which would be more repeatable. But on the second time, knowing what happens in the future, it's it's was really enjoyable watching it. Oh, absolutely. Like a lot of that with the just in general is really great on the second viewing because like, you know, the Star Path unit, like I caught it for the first three episodes and I was like, oh, that's that just Star Path unit. But I think it's like. You're right. That that's probably why this one doesn't resonate with me as much because it is all set up. It just sort of ends, you know. It just sort of is going, and then it ends. You know, it doesn't. It and doesn't think, come to a culmination. And I think the difference because because we had the same complaint about episode one. Uh huh. But I think why episode one works for me better than this one is because episode one has more time to breathe. Kind of just like, you know, just walking around Ferrix and chilling out. This is like, no, we have to establish Zedra, Partigas, Blevin, the entire yeah. Aldani team, Mon Mothma, Clea. It's like, there, there's no point where you get a second to breathe in this episode. And so it just, it feels very like, the word viscous keeps coming to my brain, but that's not the word. <laughs> right. It was just very thick to me. Yes. Like, I'm moving through, I and, it, and it's all necessary. We need all this stuff for the story. I just, I don't know. Like, after a few times, it just feels very uh, dense to me. Bless you. Bless you. My cat is making me sneeze. That's You're okay. I can hear mine sneeze. screaming in the next room. Bless you. Oh, there she goes. That last one was too, too much for... <sighs> ah. Woo. She must have been. She must have been getting under something dusty. Whew. I totally get that because it's been so polleny here that Zeb's been like coming in covered in like yellow, and I'm just like, cat. You know, I have to wipe you down with a wet cloth now. Yeah, but hope you live in a normal family clean house. I live in my 
weird nerd hoarder house with the roommate. So there's lots of dust and cobwebs here for her to get into. That's how we that's how we dust the place. We just let the cat have free range. Rome. You don't know me in my dirty ass house. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> don't um, judge I, me. I I I I I could be I'm making assumptions. You want to get into this? Let's do it. <laughs> he says, blowing his nose. <laughs> That's okay. What what listeners don't know is I spilt water all over my desk right before we started recording. And as you were talking and about your cat, I was still sopping up water from my carpet. <laughs> nice. Because <laughs> it's in the crevices and it definitely went down the drain or down the vent and on my power cord. So I'm still finding water to sop up. Anyway, Andor, no one cares about my plight but me. Uh, I'm going to start with Diego Luna. I, I feel like I haven't actually talked a lot about Cassian as a character. I've talked about, like, everybody else, but I haven't really talked about him. And I was thinking about, like, why why am I not actually talking much about Diego Luna and Cassian? And I think a lot of it is because of how subtle his... He's a cypher. He's played... He's... He... I don't think I, I I think like his character really doesn't need to be to you don't have to really be well for one he wasn't super ostentatious in in Rogue One but you want him to sort of be like this like like an observer you know you want him to be a kind of a blank slate that the that is just is just watching you're just getting his observations he doesn't have to like give a speech he's not the kind of character who's going to give a speech at some point like luthan not no. yet he starts no. getting there i think about about the jail arc because then it's actually right. really affecting right. him and he sees the consequences of his actions he's he, he's practically doing something in there he ha- he's doing that because he has to but usually he's he's keeping everything close to his chest and it makes it it makes him a good and he's an excellent actor so he can portray all the shit through body language and facial expressions and tone of voice and and it, it makes an excellent he he's an excellent character to stand in for the viewer you know so you're sort of you know he he you're you're you know you're you're vicariously experiencing what he does and i th- i think it works and you're reading stuff into what he does and stuff it's it's better than making him like a firebrand you know yeah now there's there's one other part about that about yes to everything you just said and also i like the groundwork of of where he's going as cassian and rogue one we know who cassian is in rogue one we know how he acts and at this point in the story you can see glimpses of future Cassian in there. And if, if if Rogue One Cassian is a complete puzzle, you're starting to see the pieces come together. But Cassian still needs to get pieces from, like, Luthen's teaching him how to be a spy, his experiences on Aldani and Narkina 5, and from Marva. But it's easy to see the... Like, right now, he's the framework of what he will become. And it's not, like, super obvious, because D- Luna is such a subtle actor... But you're starting to see that who he is in Rogue One starting to get fleshed out slowly. And it really starts hitting when he's on in the prison. 
but like you're starting to see like those little bits like meeting Nimic and meeting Luthen and feeling in like the spy and the rebel side of him and it, it's nice and because like I, I can see how he is Cassian in Rogue One but I can also see how he's not there yet yeah so. um so in the opening scene like Cassian has this moment where he's like naming the different sects of the rebellion he's just like oh separatist partisans blah 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 and that was interesting to me because the way he just kind of writes them off and mouths off about them is probably how everyday people think of those sex. And right oh, now, totally. they're, they're all just ragtag rebels causing more trouble than good. But what's interesting for me is Luthen agrees with Cassian. And he's like, yeah, that's exactly what they are. Because he's in a place of trying to bring those groups together. Or he, he wants to, yeah. And but it, it low-key reminded me a little bit of Trace Martez. <laughs> well, but, it's, I mean, it's, it's the, 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 I mean, the, I guess the theory is, you know, those pockets sort of pop up independently because the Empire is doing its thing and it's just sort of human nature to, like, fight against it. And, yeah, and his job is to, instead of leaving them to be little pockets to be snuffed out to start, you know, conglomerating which is it's very world war ii but just to clarify the reason it reminds me of tris martez just fyi is is the point of view of everyday people and how everyday people see it um that that's how it reminds me because that's what has you news right now so that's what i meant by that in case anyone's confused I just kind of like this idea that Mimbam is this Mimban is this place where people go and they're just like, nope, I'm gonna fucking leave the Empire because yeah, Cassian no. and Han Solo do. It it was in in Splinter of the Mind's Eye. It was li- just really like basically the place where they send you if you're an asshole <laughs> or you fucked up too many times. It was it was rainy, muddy dirty and just generally like unpleasant you know and it was also like the bear you know they were they they weren't living in the the most upscale imperial conditions let's just put it that way so yeah (laughs) yeah dumb i i do like uh a little bit of that side though because that scene showed that cassian's an unreliable narrator which is a side I don't really... I guess we've kind of seen from Cassian, but it's never been, like, fully confirmed. Because as a spy, you always have to be an unreliable narrator, but it's from the point of view of, of a spy. But I like that he tries to pull that over on Luthen, and Luthen sees right through it. That, that's the point I'm trying to make. Yeah. But um, it is... It is a part of... Um, I'm not actually reading my notes. I'm just, like, vamping here. <sighs> I'm tired. <laughs> I do like it. Uh, I do like it shows a part of Cassian that he's an unreliable narrator, which is part of the series going down to the truth. Oh, to the truth of who he is. That's what it is. That's the point I'm trying to make. Because um, that is actually really getting past the bullshit of Cassian. And once we get through the bullshit of him being this unreliable narrator and a liar and a thief and a cheat, we actually find out who Cassian is. And that's what the series is doing, is seeing who he really is once we get past all the bullshit. So, um. One of my favorite things about Andor is how not subtle the show is, foreshadowing 
or Rogue One. And usually, like, shows like this are a lot more subtle with, like, imagery and stuff like that. More, there are multiple times throughout the show, like, and this is, like, one of the first times with Luthen, where Luthen's like, you're gonna die fighting the Empire. Don't you want to do something cool with it? <laughs> and I like how this show does that, because everyone knows Cassian's gonna die in the movie. They're gonna smack you in the fucking face to remind you about it. Well, no, yeah. I mean, also when you're recruiting for stuff like that, you say, then they're saying it, they're saying, like, I mean... You know, Cassian's like, this is a suicide mission. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> welcome aboard, you know, and, and, and that that filters out people, you know. You, you need people who go like, yeah, yeah, you could die in this. And they're like, OK, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And and like oh, it works in the story, but it's also not being subtle about his death. In no, Rogue One. no. We have shots of him standing on a beach looking at a fiery sunset. Yes, it, yes. It's not subtle. But it, but that's a good point. Like I do like it. Also works for the story for for those reasons to see if he is worthy of being Rogue One Cassian, and he is. And he yeah. tries, rises to the occasion every time. Um, I love the Coruscant Renaissance we're in. There's so many shows like Mando and like all these series that's going back to Coruscant. But Bad Batch just went back to Coruscant too. And I'm just, I love it. I yeah. Love and I love that there are two time periods of Coruscant. So we got the empire time period. We spent a lot of time in the pre empire time period, but the post empire time period is like getting back to the original, you know, getting a little brighter colored and stuff. But like, yeah, it's just, I, I love Coruscant and I love stuff happening in Coruscant. I, I do too. It's my favorite. It's my favorite place in the galaxy. I could spend all my time in Coruscant exploring it, all levels. I just I adore it. There's so much. So, so what's your thoughts on the ISB? Um, it reminds me a lot of uh, George Lucas's THX 1138 with with the all white. I I I love the the design of it, but I love the ISB because. It show, we had the like little where where um, Linus and, and 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 the crew are getting chewed out. That's sort of a comedy bit, you know. Linus raises his hand. The guy's like, "Really?" <laughs> you know. And he, I it's, really like that scene. It's, it's 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 like something out of Police Academy or something, you know. You goofballs, and then and then it gets and then they add the even more comedy with the the one guy at ISB who's like. Oh look, they even misspelled Ferrix. You know, and you know that's Linus that did that. Yeah, you know, I was like, Oh, that's Linus's report. Oh, I did that as Blevin, as Blevin not giving a fuck. Because that was Blevin's report. Oh because because Blevin flat out said that Cyril and his and Linus and them weren't allowed to even That makes read the more report. sense. That makes more sense. Yeah, because uh, uh, because that's actually a plot point later when Cyril actually reads the report and tells Dedra, this is wrong. This is not what happened. That happens like three episodes from now or something. No, um, this is this is the first uh, our first step into Imperials when we meet um, what's his name? Partagas that are competent. Now we're meeting the people who are co- like running the show and Partagas is not fucking around. He is he is sharp and. He is he's not only like like a good, you know, bureaucrat, but he's also like almost like Jedi judge of character. You know, he's he's like he knows that everybody there is 
are, you know, are bastards trying to step on everybody's back to, to, so he's trying to manage that too. And, and he's got all their psychologies down and he, and he definitely has a, has taken a shine towards Dedra. He sees something in her that, that he thinks is really good. And it's fun watching him, you know, shape her, shape her in an imperial way, you know, in a, quote unquote positive way within the imperial thing and it's it's just it's 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 really fun to watch you know it's it shouldn't be but it is it's really well done you know and like 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 we've talked about before right now is right now we're in the humanization part of dedra (laughs) where we're like kind of like rooting for just out of instinct because the other character is kind of a prick and you know humans tend to do that so i i I like this uh, this aspect of it i love watching all the stuff that goes on at the isb in this show Mm -hmm. i i love every time we get to go to the isb and part of yes i agree it's just he is delightfully delightfully then, bad but like not like and i finally put together that he was in game of thrones and i'm like oh my god and that and he was the biggest creep in game of thrones because he was the sparrow right he was no, the guy no, he, he was, was the doctor he was the mad the mad wizard right, that brought the, the guy back to life and was just like yeah yeah <laughs> bring me the corpse because <laughs> the thing about part is gas is he it's it would be easy for him not to be evil. And I think he, cause he just seems like a hard ass, but he doesn't come across like Tarkin evil. Um, no, he's, so he, I take pride in my job. Exactly. Guy. Like I bet part worked, you know, the empire's only been around for 15 ish years. So I bet he worked for the Republic and he was probably the exact same way under the Republic. Yeah. And, the thing is, it, it, it's when he gets to the conversation about how they are doctors curing a disease, and that's when you can hear kind of the propaganda coming out, which is a very, I love that shift. And the reason I really like this, too, is it gives a lot of context to other things, like Callus and Rebels. These are the people who trained Alexander Callus. So it kind of gives extra weight and light to, like, when he talks about what happened on Lasan, it was stuff like this. And it also reminded me of some of the stuff in the Thrawn novel, because Thrawn works with the Alaran, who we're going to see coming up in a few episodes. So, yeah. And it's like the FBI, Secret Service side of the Empire. And it's not, it's kind of behind the scenes, but not fully. Like, people are aware of the ISB, but you don't see the ISB. And if you see the ISB, you're Fucked. <laughs> you don't want to see the ISB. Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's where the sausage is made, basically. And but it's also an incredibly vital part of this kind of fascist system. And and that's why I like that line from Partigas of just like, you want security, call the navy. Like it's true. Like Well that's and- a, that's a, to, to to just general people like the gu- with like like the like with the empire, I'm sure people are more focused on the military aspect of it instead mm-hmm. of the corporate aspect of it, because that's the stormtroopers are the ones shooting up their town, you know? So mm-hmm. 
yeah, these are just the the and and I think people in all societies just know like the 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 desk jockeys are the desk jockeys. They they just sort of like <laughs> will will just keep going no matter what goes on. Yeah, but like, I do I do think they do have like a FBI Secret Service side to them. Yeah, which which yeah. is the, definitely their role because um they're not stormtroopers. Like I I was thinking of Admiral Rampart from the Bad Batch. And, like, Admiral Rampart was, like, a very public figure. Like, he's the guy in the Senate and blah, 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 and, t- and leading all this. And that's not the ISB. The ISB are, like, people who would work with, like, Dr. Hemlock. In fact, the doctor that tortures Bex is probably great friends with Dr. Hemlock. They look like they would get drinks together and then talk about their creepy-ass torture science. Um, and that's what these people are. And I like this because these are the people behind the s- scenes who snuff out problems before they happen and i really find this an interesting part of the 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 empire that's not like the normal parts we've explored we've had so much of the military we've had so much of the set but like really getting into like the nitty-gritty of the isb is one of my favorite parts of the show yeah Uh... yeah Yeah. um couple of small notes uh i love that cassian uses his father's name makes my heart sore i want more clem in season two give us more clem fa- flashbacks please um and i also adore just the setting up of aldami i like when we get like these really natural locations in star wars um it kind of reminds me of that line from ray and i believe it's the force awakens ha- yeah it has to be the force awakens where they land on maz Kanata's world and she has that line of like i've never seen so much green before um and it's just like the aldani setting is just a really nice contrast to so much of the rest of the show because like ferrix is like very like blue collar working and Coruscant is very white and pristine and then you get aldani which is uh, this like very rural it's farm? As, it's as nature as yeah. Star Wars has gotten, except for except for um, Dagobah, and and they, I mean, the, like this show is just cutting back and forth from the sterile environment of the ISB to the most, you know, they're pooping in holes in in their camp there. You know, they're they're using they're mm-hmm. they're living in the huts left behind by you know, the 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 people who are on the outskirts of society to, to begin with. So they're living, they're living at the, you know, bottom levels of civilization and they, and, and it's just lot They're They're also their, you know, their surroundings are lush. So cutting back and forth between the ISB and that is just such a, like, uh, th- you know, strong thematic theme in this one. It's just back and forth to the two extremes. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> today and my is Luthen a Jedi theory? <laughs> sure, Luthen owns an antique shop, but perhaps he got his kyber crystal from his old Jedi roots. You see, the Luthen, the Luthen is a Jedi thing, and I haven't looked too deeply into it yet. I, I haven't read, read the, the thing you sent me yet, but like it just doesn't seem like there's like the Gilroy style of storytelling. It doesn't, it seems like they wouldn't want to go there. It would be like, if they do, I'm sure they'll do it very well, but I, I Mm. just don't, I just don't, I haven't, I, I don't, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. 
I didn't feel it either until we got to the big speech he tells to Lonnie, which is why I'm building up to that slowly. But there, there's when it comes to this kyber crystal um, that he gives to him, yeah, it's an old Radican heirloom, whatever, and he does own an antique shop. But kyber crystals, we know, are very important to Jedi as well. For all we know, that could be that could have been his kyber crystal. And he flat out tells Cassian, this will be worth more than any credits you sell it for. It will always be worth more to me. Because it's it's a piece of his history, if if he is a Jedi. Um, but that's that's the end of the the tinfoil hat theory. Now we're gonna actually look at what's at the text. So the Kyber Crystal to me is a very interesting story piece because it says a lot about Cassian. Actually, no, I forgot this is also attached to the Jedi theory. Roll with me again. Let's go. <laughs> I forgot. I forgot this note. Um, it also has a lot about his feelings towards Cassian because he gives this thief a super expensive thing as an investment and a down payment. But he also tells Val that she can kill Cassian if needed, if he's a problem. And it's a really interesting mixed message of he wants to both invest in Cassian, but he also sees him as expendable. I, I don't think he really does. I think he sees him tactically as expendable, but he really has he's real he really sees potential in him. And, but he he's Luthan as and as we get to know him better, him being just like yeah, if you have to kill him, kill him is pretty pretty Luthan like. But it's also something he needed to tell her, you know. He was communicating to her like, look, you know, you know, I'm doing this strictly for practical purposes. I have no personal investment in it, but he does. So he's, I mean, that the scenes with her, you know, him lying to her and her taking his lies, processing them on the walk back with Cassian and then lying to them to, they're, they're all lies to make the story work so that people will feel good about Cassian just showing up there, you know which is just Luthen's thing that he's throwing into this at the last second, you know? So, so it's just like this, like web of lies around him, which I mean, there's going to be a web of lies around all of them. Cause they're what just the nature of what they're doing. But like, it, it, it was just really fun to watch that evolve, you know, watch Luthen talk to Cassian, then, then talk to her and be like, yeah, look, you know, He's highly recommended and blah, blah, blah. And you can kill him if you have to, but you, you know, you, you know, and he, he like, he's just like, why don't we just stop wasting energy with this? This is going to happen. And she, she is just as, you know, pragmatic as him. And is like, okay. And it is instantly like thinking of what she has to do to make it work. And it's, it's just fun. To, and, and, all, and Cassian's also having to think about what, you know, to do to make it work. So it, it, it was fun to watch. And mm -hmm. it wasn't, and it wasn't like, I, I don't look forward to, uh, see, to, to, to episodes like this of regular shows of like a rebel group mess. Cause there's a really trite way of, you know, you know, people being mistrustful and stuff. And it's usually very frustrating cause you know, it's going to end up everybody trusts each other. But the way they do it in this, everybody's motivation for not trusting Cassian is very like realistic. And also the fact that there's nothing they can do about it is also very realistic. So they adapt to it 
quickly. You know, they're like, okay, mm-hmm. we're not going to just sit here and like fight with Clem the whole time, you know, for dramatic purposes in a show, which is what usually would would happen in this. Everybody yeah. gets little snips in here and there, but that it's just sort of natural, you know. It's handled really well. This this yeah. whole thing could have been this whole episode, especially with the the rebels on Aldani, could have been very very trite. And when we get to Nemec, uh, uh, I'll I'll uh, address that. Yeah. Further. <laughs> Can you hear my cat? No. Okay, she's like right outside my door. Uh. Yeah. Like, um. And it, like one last thing about the kyber crystal, I just I do think it's a really nice tie-in because Jen has her kyber crystal that she gets from her father, so it's just like a nice kind of like yeah. bookend on Rogue One. Um, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, she has uh, her. The strongest hearts are made of the sh- the brightest stars are made of cores of kyber. And strongest hearts of light of kyber. I don't remember the line. Yeah. My favorite movie, everyone. So. <laughs> I do think one thing's kind of interesting about Vel on this rewatch, because we find out later in the series that she's Mon Mothma's cousin. Right. And she comes from money. And she has, like, this very rich lifestyle, and she's Shandrillan, and she's... And I just... That's really interesting in this context. And the, the part that really stuck out to me is when Luthen says, you said you wanted to be a leader, this is what it takes to lead. And... I was thinking about this. I think Vel knows Mon Mothma is working with Luthen. I don't know if Mon Mothma knows Vel is working for Luthen. And I haven't rewatched the last couple episodes. It very yet. well. I'll, I'll have to keep my eyes on the future episodes, but they very well might, might all, Luthen might be the only one. He might be keeping it all compartmentalized, you know? Yeah. Because. If it, it's been a hot minute since I've seen the last like few episodes. I think Mon Mothma does not know that Vel was on Aldani, and if I remember correctly, and Vel is a little worried about Mon not having all this money, and I and that's kind of the the thing. I think they both know that they're in Rebel stuff, but I don't think they know what Rebel stuff the other is doing. Right, right. But I do think that's really interesting that. Like, why did Vel choose this path of different rebel things when she has these resources, this money, this access? But she chose the path of being frontline in the dirt on the edge of society, you know, shedding in a hole, as you said. Why why this path? And I think that's a very interesting part of Vel's character we don't know yet of like, what is she running from in Chandrilla? Why does she not go the Mon Mothma route? Why did, did, does she maybe disagree with Mon's way? Because I think one of the best things about Mon Mothma is she's almost too slow in moving. And we see this in Rebels. And she's trying to find the most peaceful way through politics, which just does not work. Because she knows that everything's going to, like, anything that the Rebels do is going to lead to death. And so she's trying to eggshell walk over that. Does Vel not agree with that? Does she want to be on the front lines? What kind of leader does Vel want to be differ from Mon Mothma? There's a lot of questions about Vel's character there that I really hope we get into in, in season two. In because my it's head, really in, interesting. In high school, Mon Moth was Mon Moth was Mothma was a popular girl and she was the tomboy, probably hung out with the stoners, stoners and or punk punk rockers or whatever, you know. 
just from my my like experience with like rich families you know sometimes they'd have a kid that's like really you know but like maybe their family is also infamous for being pretty socially conscious you know so it runs through their family so they both have the same sort of ideals but mon mothma became a a politician because she you know she won student council president senior year and well we know she became a politician at 16 and she also married married Perrin young because yeah, it sounds like they have a sort of uh um very, but very it might similar not... setup like uh Amidala had you know yeah but i do think something one thing that sticks up out is Perrin is just like so Val, why haven't you found a man to settle down with so and like mon just like looks at val and they just smile because they both know she's a lesbian yeah. so there, there's a lot of interesting things about this like trangillan culture that i think like i feel like zal zal val um very much is a very well-written queer character it's like somebody on the fringe of her own society who is who is a rebellion who's a rebel who's leaving um and, and like going against like all these things that are like traditional society, which is very much a representation of like what Mon and Perrin and their daughter Lita is, especially Lita, because Lita, while Vel is like her cool dink aunt, um, Lita we also know is a very big traditionalist to go against her mother, and like she's like in like culty Girl Scouts <laughs> that yeah. are like Chandrillan Chandrillan culty Girl Scouts. Handmaiden Scouts. Huh? Handmaiden Scouts. Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. So I just, I, th I think there's one thing with Val is she's, I don't think she's just rebelling against the Empire. I think there's a part of her that's also rebelling against Chandril and culture. And we just don't oh, really sure. know that, know that yeah, point she's, yet. She's not, I, she's not has no problem with like getting her hands dirty killing somebody breaking the law you know so yeah she's she's just the opposite side of the coin of of mon mothma who like is is funding all of that <laughs> but like is you know i'm sure mortified at the thought of getting her hands dirty at all oh, well, we'll see in the future too you know that's really interesting because i don't fully agree with you and there's two reasons I don't fully agree with you. I think Vel thinks that about herself. I don't think she's actually done it because the the first the first presentation of this this um of this article of information um what's it called evidence that's the word I'm looking for brain stopped working because Luther flat out says you want to lead. This is what leading is. And yeah. when they're actually doing the Aldani heist. She has a moment on the dam with Senta, and Senta's like, Vel, do the thing. And I think this is Vel's first leader mission. Like, she might have done, like, a, yes. like, little things, but I don't think she has done the full, like, fully getting her hands bloody and and, and dirty. And the other reason I, I think, think that right, is... I think you're right, but I mean, I don't think she's opposed to getting her head, like... I, I don't think she's so not either. She's to... But I don't think she's fully ripped off the bandage. And and the other reason I think that is, is in the scene where they're introducing Cassian to the team, Fair uh, Marseille's acting is really interesting in that scene because they're all like questioning her, like, who is this? Why is he here? And that first scene 
she does not act with confidence. Her being Vel, not the actress. Vel does not act with confidence. She's telling them these lies that she got from Luthen, but her voice sounds strained and a little off, and there's a frantic tone on the edge of her voice. But she gets oh. more confidence as the episode goes on. Who's, the who's more the she, the more she, hold on, the more she says the lie, she, the more she buys the lie. Yes. So I do think that this is Vel's first time leading. Who, who is the imperial? What's the name of the imperial character? Born. Yeah, he when he sh- when he shows up, and she's she's arguing with him. Like a couple things she said sort of contradicts the stuff she told everybody else, and she said it in front of them, but they don't seem to pick up on it. Like I picked up on that the second time. I'm like, ooh, that doesn't exactly jibe with her first, you know, with her first what the you know her fir- initial story. So it, it, it's it's yeah. So she's yeah, definitely not perfect, but she is. She's you know she she's tough. I mean, there's a reason that she's this. It might be her first time, but there's a reason that she's there. You know, if if it's like this is all Luthen's chessboard. You know, he's put her there for a reason. The same reason he's put Cassie in there because yeah, he thinks she's got. He thinks she's got. He's see, he thinks he's seen that in her, even if she hasn't done it yet. Yeah. Um. Here's my note where I said this episode is so dense, but it doesn't feel overstuffed for me fully. Writing this note, I'm only 14 minutes into the episode and so much has happened. Though I do want to note that it might be a lot for casual fans, especially the ISB parts. My um, non-Star Wars uh, fan stepmother was getting really lost during the ISB scenes and needed me to explain them in more detail. See, I think I think that that's natural. But I think like the next two or three, you know, the next few episodes, they'll 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 put it together enough within the story structure. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, your your mom's just lucky she's got a translator there, you know, to. Yeah, I I don't think it's though. I, I was reading, you know, like when I was writing all the uh, actor notes and stuff like that, I, the actor that plays Blevin uh, <laughs> had said that, like, because he he didn't grow up watching Star Wars that much either. He was getting lost in scenes <laughs> because he didn't know what he was saying. And he didn't know the planets and the things. And yeah. at one note, like, uh, one of the directors came up and they were like, you need to say that line more frantically because that planet's about to explode. And he was like, what? <laughs> oh! <laughs> then yeah! <laughs> oh, I just thought it was a funny note. Hold on, I have to go tend to a cat. She is screaming. Okay. Okay. One Hi! What's going on? Hi. We are joined by Cat now, everybody. Excellent. Yep. What did you think of Andor? Uh-huh. And what was your favorite part? Okay. Her favorite part was now sitting in my lap. So. Now. Oh, sorry, sorry. Get out of my cheeses. <laughs> I am so sorry. She was screaming for about... I, I looked at the clock. It was about 9 o'clock she started screaming. It is 9.53. Yeah. She's not stopped screaming. <laughs> Get out of my Cheez-Its! <laughs> um, all right. So now I'm going to turn on this side of the thing. So can you hear me still? Yep. yep. All right. Cool. Um, 
I have a little note. I do love the contrast of mall cops versus actual Imperials. Yeah, I like how we're just sort of like climbing the the ladder through the show. It, it I, is a cool look to kind of show like that step I, up. I imagine we'll be taking on some bigger Imperial guns in season two. You know, I imagine we'll go a little higher up the ladder. I hope we don't go as high as like Darth Vader. I hope we don't get to Tarkin or Krennic levels because they're in Rogue One. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think I, I think that is the line that we should just stop yeah. short of. Um. Uh, 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 uh. There is one little moment I I really liked for to show like Cassian's growth of where he's going, because when he first finds out that they're attacking a garrison, he has a moment. He's like seven people. Against a whole garrison? And I like that because he has that one line in Rogue One of, we we will make one man feel like a hundred. And it's a nice kind of like showing of like where he is now versus where he goes to. So, See, whenever I hear someone say garrison, I think that when I hear him say one man against a, or seven people against a garrison, I'm thinking of like Garrison Keeler and I'm like, they're going to attack Prairie Home, Com- Prairie Home Companion. <laughs> Um, so I, I want to talk about, uh, he, I wish I knew how to say his name. I don't think I have yet to say it in the show. Hurt. 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 Yeah. Cause I would have said hurt, but there are two E's. So hurt yeah. is that how I think he says it? Um, there's a little, I, I like the little detail from Hurt that he points out Blevin and his men misspelled Ferrix because that just shows the incompetence okay. of the bad guys. But more specifically... It's like indifference more. They don't even bother to check to see if they're spelling it right. They just... Yeah. They probably spell it F-E-R-R-I-C-K-S. Or F-I-R-I-C-K. Yeah. But the thing about um, Hirt is... I actually really like his work relationship with Dedra. And the reason I think it's kind of sticks out to me and it's sort of unique is we're so used to watching Imperials step on each other and throw each other under the bus and like backstab each other that seeing two Imperials with a really positive camaraderie and he believes See. in Dedra's work. Hold on, let me finish. Because I, I do I have a counter to my own point. <laughs> Um, it's so rare to see like two Imperials actually like to like each other and work well together. And like he's supporting her and he's helping her and he's bending over backwards and he stays late with her. And I, I, that's really interesting because it's something we don't really see in Star Wars. That said, I would not be surprised in season two if he stabs her in the back and throws her under the bus because that's well, how Imperials do. Well, remember, you're 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 a, you're a sucker for this dynamic, Hope. You're just you're just a you're just a flat out all day sucker for it because the, they got you with Thrawn. Well, I I'm ashamed because you've said his name so many times. Thrawn's Thrawn's right hand man. Rook. No, in the book. Oh, Eli Vanto. Eli Vanto. You see, yes, there there are in 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 fascist systems. There's tons of people all looking to step on each other that are all you know, but. There's also lackeys and lackeys look for a, you know, a, you know, they're, they're going to find somebody that they think they can ride their, ride their train. 
and and they also like and what you know will are are going to be helpful to them because they are they are invested in that that tra- they want to be there you know when the, this person's going places and uh i'm not going to be i'm not going to be a cutthroat guy i'm i'm this this kind of guy but like i'll i'll ride this i'll ride their train you know so there's lackeys too you know and the lackeys yeah. will can build a really good working relationship with their boss and and stuff and and even like them and stuff but yeah yeah, but that's that that's a lackey. Oh yeah, but but I I like that because when you get higher up, you get actual minions. Yeah, but the, when it comes to on screen Star Wars, though, like Eli Vanto is just solely a book character. We've never seen Eli at right, all. But right, like, right. when it comes to on screen characters, um, we don't get that very often. No. And I think that's why it's so refreshing. Because we we usually get the characters just stepping on each other and breaking each other. Yes, that's right, Carmela, and uh, like you know, stepping on top of each other. And I think that's why I really like Kirt and Dedra's relationship because it's something that we don't see very often on screen in Star Wars. And I should just say now, I actually kind of low key ship them. Give me Hurt and uh, okay. Kirt and Dedra, not Cyril and Dedra. Cyril and Dedra's gross. <laughs> It's literally just about as toxic as you can get. A toxic combination as you can get. Yes. What? <laughs> <laughs> um, I love Luthen's little scene of him donning his wig and his character. Oh, it's, it's one of the it's one of the main thematic iconic scenes of the whole season and the whole show. You know, it's it's. It's sort of, and it's also singled out. It had the music in it. It's it's like one of the most important scenes in the whole thing, and and it's such a, it's so like, you know, interesting. Looking into his character, and it's creepy at the same time. It makes you wonder. Okay, what's go? It's just a wonderful, wonderful scene. Yeah, there was a while where I thought, despite him like in that scene putting on the wig and the rings and stuff, there was a while where I thought that his Coruscant persona was his real persona, and what he shows to everybody else on the field was his fake self. Like it's that convincing. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you you really don't know which Luthen. Because maybe Luthen did start off as the jeweler and the high Coruscant what, what, person. Whatever and he then is, went to he rebels. is that. Whatever he is, he th- that's him going into character. So when, so like, whenever you see Luthen in any character that he's in, it feels like that's him because they all are him. But he mm-hmm. believes it, you know, as as the shopkeeper, you know. He believes it because he has to. He's got to convince everybody else, and nobody's going to believe it unless he does. Like the little movement he does with his hand and the nod of his head that he does just before he walks out is like not even like a real movement he would be doing in reality as that character, but it's sort of like just represents it. Represents it. It's yeah, and it's. You know, it's an actor getting into a role. There's probably actual stuff like that going on on set, <laughs> you know, on mm-hmm. almost all shows and stuff. And uh, 
it's yeah, it's a it's it's a wonderful scene, and it, and it's it's just sort of not out of place, but it stands out, and it's as being odd, and it's yeah, it's wonderful. I love mm-hmm. it. Um, so I found something that I thought was actually very interesting is Andor tackled a scene more bluntly and not subtle and more in your face than Rebels. And I thought that was really funny. And the scene that came to mind is the one where Val is giving in a uh, Cassian, like a little mini lesson on Aldani. And it's just like, yeah, they took hundreds of years worth of history and destroyed it in a decade and blah, blah, blah. And they moved all to these factory towns and this Imperial housing. And that's exactly what happened in Rebels. I love that they call more inter- subtle. Enterprise Zones. Say what? They call them Enterprise Zones. Yeah. And the reason it stuck out to me, because like I thought about the in, in Rebels, there's the story of the Sumars. And in season one, we see the Sumar farm get destroyed. And then in a later season, because they have no choice and nowhere else to work, they go work in an Imperial factory. And so, like, that kind that story arc, like, like, Andor is usually really good about deep diving on these points, but doing it in a very subtle way. But I liked how this point, like, was kind of in your face. Like, here's everything you need to know about Aldani in three seconds. While, like, Rebels was, like, much more subtle about breaking up that story over a series of seasons. Yeah. And I just thought that was funny. Because usually it's just, the other way around. It just, they had a perfect opportunity because that is exactly what they would have to be talking with on their walk. So it's a perfect opportunity to fill everybody else in, you know. So yeah, and to show it would be to show it would be, you know, a different kind of show altogether. Mm-hmm. So, and 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 rebels, rebels is you know just like it's hard to compare the two because rebels is just supposed to be for for a younger audience than than Andor. It's interesting to compare the two though because they're taking place roughly the same time, so. I, I, um, a sneak peek in a few weeks of, of, um, feedback. Charles sent us this note. Um, there's a really good discussion of like when they start the PORD in Andor, if that's why Callus has so much jurisdiction on Lethal and so much power that he probably didn't have that before. So, but also like there's mes- mentions of Kessel like the events of Kessel and like what's happening there. And we know that Rebels opens on Kessel. So I do find this interesting that they're happening the same year because they're kind of enforcing each other and stuff. And I find that really interesting. Um, I'm just going to read this note verbatim. I love when Caddy Imperials fight and are bitches to each other. And then after that in big letters, it says goats. Yeah. <laughs> I just have horny goats jokes, but I got my horny goat joke really early on. But yeah, I do. Yeah, the old like I noticed one thing. Usually in all Star Wars, like they really like if Aldani was the goats were are the only like alien animal that you see. Usually in like something like this, you would have like some weird birds flying around or some you know little chipmunky things or something. But they just like. Yeah. Um, Not a complaint, but 
so now that I know that Cell, that Vel and Senta are lesbians, it's so funny to see like little things in their relationship. Because when Vel is walking down the side of the mountain with Cassian, all the men go to Senta and they're like, Senta, what's happening? Because that's her girlfriend. She should know, right? And then under that in big letters, I said that I write the death glare of a pissed off lesbian. Yeah. Um, I love Cyril's sad montage. I love his mom. I adore the sad montage. It's my favorite, like, three minutes of Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> it's so, he's so pathetic, and I yeah. love him. And I love Edie. I'll, I'll have more notes about Edie later, because all she really does is slap her, slap her son, yell at her neighbor, and drag him inside, which is very much Edie's character. Yell at the neighbors and slap her son, and then drag him around. So. Why do you look at her? Um. Hi. What are you uh, looking at? Yeah, Carmela, what are you looking at? I guess I'm not petting her right. So, um, there's one thing about okay. So this is in context of when Terramen and Skeen and Nimic are talking to Val. Well, about Cassian. And Nimic has the line of just like, I believe in him. He looks like a true believer. Like that line. I wish I could remember who said this. And I'm almost positive it was my friend Alice from Rogue Fun Podcast. If it's not, I'm sorry. But I'm pretty sure it was her because I think this was the episode I was on with her. But she brought up a really good point about Nimic's line and Cassian being a true believer. Because Chariot in Rogue One says something very similar to Cassian about Cassian too because Chirrut tells Chirrut asks Bayes about Cassian's eyes and if he has the eyes of a killer and I think if I remember correctly Bayes answers no he has the eyes of a believer and I I am paraphrasing that a little bit but that was a very similar conversation which kind of crazy eyes does he have (laughs) yeah but I, I kind of like this idea of these characters who can tell that there is something more to Cassian. He is not just a killer. That there is something in him. And I just thought that was a really neat connection. Well, um, I, 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 I'll... If I can uh, bring up my Nemec. Yeah, going into get to Nemec. No, oh my god, I still have so many fucking notes. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if Cassian's even there yet as a believer. I, Nemec is... Nemec is like the only character in all of this whole season that's a pure trope. He is, he hits every. He has to be. <laughs> he hits every, every note, but he's the only one. And there's other characters that work off a trope, but they're given more subtlety. This guy is everything, everything he says, does, and his whole character arc is like insanely predictable and insanely just like like broadly drawn you know he's like to almost to the point of where i'm like why is he in this what is his what is his place in this mission besides making i thought it was really actually really very a nice funny touch that he built the model and was just like uh had to keep the rain off it 
uh, I, I, scale. The reason I like that line is they give him more, like, very specific details to make him lovable and quirky and blah, blah, blah right. to kill him. So and you I know. will get to Nimick's death when we get there because I think it's really interesting how they did it because everybody knew Nimick was going to die and they well, still that, got us. I, that's the thing is, I'm like, they're setting him up way... You know, they're setting him up to the point of like the World War II story where the guy's like, I've only got two more weeks left and I'm going back to see my girlfriend exactly. and we're going to get married. You know, exactly. It's, but it's, even it's, then, it's so they obvious that I was like, it. It, I was like, they're going to twist this or subvert it or make it more, you know, make it more realistic or something. You know, we're more likely to see maybe Nemec get a little more like jaded or, you know, or avoid getting J or something like that, you know, but, but nope, that for, for some reason they're for, for there's, they, they're purposely making him just sort of a trope. Cause I'm like, why is he even there? What is his, you know, if this is such a hardcore mission, this guy's like, this guy's like, hi, I'm fresh out of the, the bread basket, you know? And, and, uh, you know, so okay, he made the model or something, but I, it's 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 kind of weird. It's the only, it's the only part that like I I I like I don't think it it's like a pro. I think they purposely did it in the writing, so it's just mm -hmm. very interesting to me. He is there to give Cassian a manifesto. Yes, that is his job, and yes. to make all of us cry. Yes, that is the point of Nimic. But that's that that makes him very unusual in this show which is all about not playing those those notes you know like that so it's it's so that like it gives it an extra it gives it a little extra juice by be, by being the sole sort of like because every team has to have a, i don't want to say cliche but eh, no he's a cliche yeah he, he has to be the heart cr cliche of the group that's right yeah. Carmilla. <laughs> um She's a cliche with all those meows. What is it? Yes, you are. I love you. I love you so much, you old lady. My 18-year-old lady who's very wow. grumpy. Um, my next note is, I'll get more into her later, but I have a lot of thoughts on Clea. Because I actually think Clea is the one in charge of her and Luthen. I don't think it's Luthen. I think it's Clea. Um, yeah. But it's not obvious in this episode. It gets more obvious in later episodes, so I'll just get on to that later. Um, I want to talk about Mon Mothma, because I don't think this is... For, for me, it's great. I know who Mon Mothma is. I know her history. I know everything about her. Um, hi, you want to get... She keeps jumping off my lap and getting down because she wants me to sit on my bed. That's the problem. She wants me to sit on the bed with her. She does not want me at my desk, which is why she's being a bitch. <laughs> I love you, though. My fuzzy bitch. Um, but I, so it works for me because I, I know Mon's, uh, journey. I know Genevieve O'Reilly's journey. I actually love this for Genevieve O'Reilly. Yeah. That she started. She gets to act. <laughs> yeah. And it's for any, for any, for some reason, if you don't know, she was in an episode, uh, she was in episode three and her scene was cut. And so she's only in deleted scenes. And then she gets to come back and play her role in Star Wars animation and then she also plays the role in Rogue One, and she, you know, she got to do all these things, and it got bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, 
No, wait, she was in episode three, wasn't she? I don't think. No, I think it, she's only in. I think it's only a cut scene. In yeah. Episode three. I don't think she because actually. The person who plays Mon Mothma in Return of the Jedi is not Genevieve. It can't be. No, no. No, 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 that no. character so, was played in old. Like, yeah, yeah. It's so just, it's it's really it, like yeah. it's such an awesome journey that Genevieve got to finally get to play Mon Mothma in all her glory. Um, so all this worked for me. I love her back and forth spy talk with Luthen. I love that moment in the back room, like we, after they had their little argument. You can see them both put on their character, like they both have like lift their chin and set their shoulders and then walk out. Like they both have that moment, and so it's like really great. Um, though I will say Mon is a character that my non-Star Wars stepmom was super confused about. And she was like, why, who is this? And why is she here? And I was like, I need to tell you how important Mon Mothma is. <laughs> well, she'll find, she'll find out in subsequent episodes too, you know, yeah. she'll find out more. And, and she gets it now, but what, it, what the way I explained it to her, cause I didn't want to give too much away. I was like, all you need to know is Mon Mothma is a senator. And she's a big part of what will become the rebellion. And my stepmom went, okay. Um, and then she really dug her. So, and I just also want more Genevieve O'Reilly. So that, those are my thoughts. But what did you think of the Mon Mothma and Sly Moore scenes? Or not Sly I, Moore. I like, I, I like the, this introduction to her cause it's just low key. It's just some, and like, yeah, someone like your mom not watching it would be just like, why is this person, what's going on here? But that's okay. That sort of fits with the show because there's a lot of things where you're like, what's going on here? Okay. And then you start figuring out who the people are. So they just gave her a low key, you know, a low a low key intro, you know, and but it works though. It gives you the whole dynamic of her family. She and her husband are both collaborators, but just for <laughs> opposite sides, and uh, yeah, it gives uh, just a rough rough idea of her family dynamics, and and she's up to some up to something about moving money, and 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 that's it. But like, yeah, it's it's nice, and and you've you, you know got little stuff like her chauffeur may or may not be working for the Empire or something. You can't tell, you know. It's just sort of you know whether you know who she is or or not. It all sort of works for me. Mhm. I um. So I want to talk about everything though with Parent because first of all. I am bummed we did not get Slymore on screen. I wanted that dinner party. I wanted to see Slymore because Slymore would have been a, a, a fucking hell of a cameo. B, that's Mon Mothma's worst nightmare because Slymore can read thoughts. <laughs> I wanted Slymore in the show. I'm bit, like that's the one bad thing about Andor. They they teased us with Slymore and then they did not give it to us. Um, but to, to actually talk about Perrin. I love Perrin. He's a fucking piece of shit. Dude, the the must I everything adore him. Be, the, the must everything be boring and sad line right after saying like, well, people are gonna die because of this, and he's just like, come on, lighten up, you know, <laughs> is just like so incredibly. That's just such a great line. It's it's something that would really come out of a character's mouth like that, and just her reaction to it is just like, oh. God, <laughs> you know. But the reason I, I like Perrin, because he's actually a very important character for the kind of, like, fascism they're exploring. Because 
he is the kind of person who knows that the stuff is bad, but he's not going to do anything because he's comfortable. And yeah. that is dangerous. Um, because like, why should he become uncomfortable and lose his money and his status for a gal for a galaxy? And, and the that people is doing it are fun. He has fun around him. He likes them. They're 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 great people to have for dinner. You know. Yeah. They're... And like, he is a very vital cog in a system like this. Um, and this this was actually just sheer dumb luck that I happened to read a little passage from Martin Luther King's uh, Birmingham Letters when he was in prison. And he had talked about, like, one of the most dangerous parts of a government yep. are the moderates. Yep. The people who know know that things are morally bad, but they don't do anything because they're comfortable. And that is parent in a nutshell. And I, I love that kind of character. And I, and I do have, like, different, I think parent has potential later um, of... Other things, I because I I like the tease that he does not agree. He he agrees with Mon that Lita's little Girl Scout cult is creepy, and he does not like that. And he does not like marrying off his daughter. Um, so I I think there's potential for Perrin, but I also think Perrin is Mon's scapegoat to throw under the bus if needed. Yeah, and I we think, see that. We I, see I that think bad we, things are going to happen to him. That's what I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think there's a reason we don't see Perrin and Lita by the time of Rebels and Mon Mothma's like, I defect from the Empire, um, which is actually a story that I'm really interested in. Because... I, I'm looking forward to a story where where he's like, you know, he gets put in the corner by the Imperials. He's about to throw Mon Mothma under the bus, but he's obviously way dumber than Mon Mothma. And she gets wind of it ahead of him and just is like, you idiot, and then off the off the cliff he goes that's what i'm picturing i i think that we know that they had a arranged marriage but there are little scenes here and there that mon and perrin get along and they're few and far between but I, those little scenes are interesting to me because like they show glimpses of what a team they could be if perrin wasn't a piece of shit right and right. And I could see a, a place in season two where Mon is Pen and Perrin fucking mans up and steps in. It's just like, no, I'm here to defend my wife. She wasn't there. Here's my alibi. She was with me and blah, blah, blah. And he realized that's when he like pulls her to the side and like they get in their car and he looks at her. He's like, what the fuck are you doing? She's like, I'm running a rebellion. Help. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I know. There, there's so many complex Not things about, <laughs> Yeah. And there's there's so many little things about Perrin where I, I see seeds of him helping her or seeds of him being shitty or throwing her under the bus. But I also think, I think he really loves Lita. And I think Lita is a big piece of this because he really does love his daughter. He cares for her, he's there for her, he supports her. And I I will forever defend Lita when we get to her. I think she's in a great character and people shit on her too much because she's a really her crime is being a teenage girl. And that is yeah. not a reason to like to throw yeah. a character under the bus when her crime is she wants her mother to spend time with her. Yeah, being young and dumb. That and, is her like, crime. And, like a good part of her problems are her her mom and dad's fault. So, yeah, 
Who's her crime kid? is being a teenage girl who wants to hang out with her mom more. Who's, who's right? Who's neglected? Yep. And so in turn, she rebels just like her mom. You know, so she's actually kind of in a way following her mom because if her mom yep. doesn't want to follow Shandrill and customs, then she's gonna double down on Shandrill and customs. Um, I think Leo is a very interesting character, but I do think she's kind of the linchpin in all this. Because I think if there's a position in season two where Lita's in danger, that's when Perrin goes to Mon and is just like, what we, What are we doing? We need to do something for our daughter. Um, and I, and so, I, so I do think Perrin could be a very fascinating character to watch. I, I adore him. I think he's we very well. We very well may not see that. Mo- we, that they may be done with that particular aspect of my Mothma, too. So I, 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 I don't know. You know, we, we, That's we're gonna, we're point, gonna, because... we're gonna leap ahead in time, and <clears throat> we could get a reference. We could get a reference to like the unfortunate incident <laughs> with Perrin or something. You know, yeah. What I, mean? I think the that's my only gripe about season two is that there's a time jump and it's going to be constantly time jumping like over four years. Right. And, I would much like, rather uh, spend that time like really savoring that a, because a there's the all trouble... these little these little shows and scenes and stuff that I want to know. And I I really am not digging the time jump idea. A lot of the trouble that Mon, right. But like they, they, they're focusing on their main theme and like Mon Mothma's soap opera is fucking great, (laughs) you know, but it might not have anything, you know, by the stuff that they set up in Mon Mothma's soap opera might just not really as be like they might just be there to flavor it all the better but like they may yeah they may all come into fruition and resolve before we even see her again you know we might see the when we see mon mothma and she's changed you know and and we find out why all that stuff will make sense, but I don't know if they're going to keep following it, you know, spending, spending time in the one season they have left following it. We'll see. I hope, yeah. they do. I hope they do. Cause I, I love that. This part. This yeah. I, I love everything about Mama's best thing, that stuff. Um, just a quick note. Cause uh, Mon Mothma brings up the Gormans throughout the series. That's just a really important groundwork to where we get to in rebels because the Gorman massacre is what makes her leave the, the empire and denounce the emperor and officially start the rebellion in season three of rebels. I think it is. Um, so that's just what the groundwork is here. So anytime she talks about the Gormans is leading up to her leaving the empire for good. So it's just an important thing to note to keep an eye on. Um, and the last two things I have, Oh, this is a fucking long episode. Um, I love that Gorn is the one who gets to talk about the eye and tell Cassian about it because we know about his lover uh-huh. Aldani. I, I just thought that was a really nice little moment for him. Um, because, like, that that's something that you don't catch until you watch it the second time through. Because we don't find out about his lover, I think, until the third Aldani episode. I, it, I, I think it's the third. Um, so, I, I just that's just, just a nice little touch. And finally... I love how they set up Dedra's story to make us root for her because it's such a traditional story trope of just like, she's a woman in a man's world and we want her to beat, to like beat Blevin because Blevin's a piece of shit. And they're like using all these like traditional story tropes to be like, yeah, let's root for her. And there are also times where they slide in these kind of thoughts of like, what if she defects? What if she turns from the empire like Callus? And yeah. like, 
they early in these first few Dedra episodes, there's a lot of moments that maybe go, oh, she might defect. And, oh, like, because, like, she's being treated so badly by Blevin. And, like, even though Partagaz gives her a compliment, he's also just like, you need to stay in your lane. And so, like, there's all these little hints. But then they do the great thing with Dedra, which is they rip the rug out from under the audience. And, like, when she actually gets in a position of power, she just goes full fucking villain. Yeah, she's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so good because... Like at this point when watching this the show, I was I'm rooting for Dedra. And yes. then we put her on Ferrix and she's to- like torturing Bix, and you're just like, Dedra, no. <laughs> um, and so like that her writing is just so good because yep. they take these like normal story tropes that like we've seen a bajillion times over. They're such common tropes. You know the story, and then they don't do the story. And it's yes. great. It is. It's always a relief for me because I, I like I hate it because I'm like it's almost like going through it, you know, when they set up something and then it acts out exactly like the trope in a poorly written thing. You have to just sit through it because you know where it's going and you're like, okay, well, we have to wait for the plot to go as they go through this part where nobody trusts Cassian, you know, mm-hmm. and and they all fight and bicker about it and, you know. And, uh, you know, and Cassian has a couple of them who are isn't, you know, it's just this whole thing. And, and, and you just have to sort of wait it out and watch it go through it to get back to the, you know, the progress of the story. But nope, nope, not this. They, they, they. Yeah. Lies actual writing. And, and like uh, tropes can be done right. Like there, there's a reason. Well, they're there for tropes. a reason. They're there for a reason. And they yeah. exist in life, you know. I mean, I've had conversations with people that were a trope, you know, where you're like, oh, I know where this is going, you know, and, and it does, you know. <laughs> yeah. And so. I do think there's also comfort in tropes, too. Like, sometimes sometimes we need stories like Andor well, where they're, like, hard-hitting. Yeah, it's, and like, and then sometimes it's nice just to have a story that's tropey and comfortable and fun and you know what's gonna happen like this was a reason why i loved my little pony friendship is matching as much as i did because i knew it was my comfort show because in 22 minutes there'd be a small stakes conflict but i knew it was gonna be okay because it was a comfort show but then there are other times where i want the tropes to be challenged like what they do here with tetra because that is the show so like tropes do have their place in stories but like where it works in andor is they're using the tropes like nimic and dedra and then they're gonna fucking turn them on their head upside down. <laughs> except for except for Nimic. Well, I, I will get to that because to, which they're gonna play every every note, every note. You know, he's he's naive, but you know he's smart. He's written. You know, he's he's a true he's a true believer. You know, he's pure. You know, therefore he can't live in this <laughs> exactly environment and that's the trope and. But I, and and I'll get to it when we get to his death. But even then, everyone knew they was he was going to die. But how they did it was turning the trope on its head. I I, I thought he was go- I thought he wasn't going to die because that would just be too. It would be it's too. It's I'm like the, it's too. They're setting him up to die too much for him to die because it's almost like a joke. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. like a 
it's almost like a parody level of like okay and then he does this it's like oh geez this guy's a goner you know Mm -hmm. and we'll and we'll see that from every every line from him from now on it's just like oh you poor dead kid (laughs) exactly i you know what i'll go ahead and say it now and then we'll deep dive on it when we get to it in two episodes the thing is is that we all knew he was gonna die but it was the fact that they gave us a sliver of hope that he would live he didn't die automatically he was crushed and was dying, but there's this hope of like we're gonna get him to a doctor, you know? And and that's that's what it is. They gave us the hope and then they took it away. And that was turning the trope on its head. Because that is what we don't see. We usually just see like the young idealistic kid get like yeah. killed on the battlefield and left behind and like everyone's screaming, like, well, he, no! usually, he usually he usually has enough time. To like say in this case passes manifesto on or pass like here get this get this take this letter to my girlfriend when you get home you know or whatever right. yeah right. And, and, and this here, was sort like, of they, unceremonious yeah and here they gave us the hope and then like ripped it away in the coldest most medically medical way possible yeah. and that was turning the trouble on its head so that that's what I like about the show but that's all I have do you have anything else? I have nothing else. All right, Chris. Score it up for me. I gave it an eight just to set a low end, sort of like you did for your least favorite episode. And uh, yeah, but but all in all, I, I love this episode. It's it's incredibly, incredibly entertaining and and good and meaty. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm probably around an 8 to 8.5 as well. I can't remember what I scored. I think it was the sec- it was first or second episode. One of them I think was it was like an 8.25 or something like that. Then I'm going to give this that. It's, it's an 8.25. Okay. Um, because, actually, no, I'm going to go ahead and give it an 8. Because this is my, this is probably my least favorite episode of the entire series. Um, because it's all really good and it's really well presented and it's beautifully shot and everything's great. But boy, it's dense. And it's almost too dense. Yeah. And it's it's a lot. It's a ton of it's a shit ton of information. Like there are ISB scenes where I really enjoy them. Yeah, it's it's a lot of mental work. And that came out wrong. I don't mind mental work and show. But um it's almost too much information. And it took me a deep diving fan, a couple watches to like kind of really grasp the full everything going on. And watching it with a casual fan who knows, who doesn't really know much about Star Wars, it allowed me to see the flaws in a way I wasn't expecting. Because it's it's much for me, it's too much for, I think, other people. And it's just on that edge. But it's all really good. <laughs> but I think after watching rewatching it four times now, I really like, I loved it on the second rewatch. The third time was, uh... And the fourth time was just like, oh, it's still going. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is the episode for two rewatches. No more. Because <laughs> on the fourth re- rewatch, I'm like, I'm only 14 minutes in. Ah! <laughs> oh, anyway. As always, we would love to hear your feedback on iTunes, Twitter, Two True Freaks, Facebook page, and in our Discord page. And this week, we had a little feedback. It was from Twitter. You know, it's for our second episode of Kenobi Part 2. All right. And it comes from Bucho. 
who says, I too appreciated the heckin' heck. Whoa, whoa, hey. <laughs> watch out, watch out with the language there, Tex. I, I, I love that me saying heckin' heck has passed on to other people. Get heckin' heck <laughs> out of here. <laughs> I appreciated the heckin' heck out of Obi-Wan telling little Leia that her strengths reminded him of Padme. One of the best things the Clone Wars did for me was to breathe so much more meaning into Padme's part of the wider Star Wars story. Oh, it sure did. Thank you. I could have done more, but it 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 did way more than the movies. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like uh, that's that's one of my favorite parts of Kenobi. I mean, how many times did I yell Padme rights while watching Kenobi? <laughs> so I I definitely really loved that part as well. Um. Uh, did you? Well, if you don't have anything else, where can people find you, Chris? You can find me at twotruefreaks.com, our website, where we have all the Two True Freaks podcasts just laying around and piling up every week. More and more of them just fall into the pile in the giant vault where you can go get them. You can also uh, go to, if you're on Facebook, you can go to the Two True Freaks podcast page where we post up all the new episodes as they come up in the Two True Freaks Cantina where we talk about stuff stuff shit we talk about the shit and maybe there will be people talking about the shit in from last episode and we are also on twitter also on twitter which apparently is now doge because it's just got that dog thing up in the corner right here i that that came up and i like it confused me at first because i was like why the fuck? Because I, I, I thought I clicked on like a weird website. I was like, what the fuck is happening? And then I saw the doge and I was like, oh fucking god. And it hasn't. It finally went away today, but like it kept distracting me because I thought I was logged in on the wrong account because it's a similar color to one of my accounts. So I, I was right. just like, what, what am I logged into? <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway, if you're there. You can, uh, you can just pop in Two True Freaks and you'll find our Two True Freaks Twitter account, which is run by the intrepid Gene, Gene the podcasting slash voice acting slash podcast listening slash dog and child raising machine. Bark, 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 Gene. <laughs> you kept going. I wanted to go with the theme of the show and give you too much to, to process. All right, but that's where they can find me. <laughs> can they find you? Where the hell can they find you? Where the heckin' heck can they find you, Hope? Oh, you can find me the heckin' heck everywhere. Um, you can find me at JGuys and Jedi on Twitter, as long as it's functioning, and also at Hope Molinax. I am a writer for... Uh, you, have you ever novel. tried heckity heck? Heckity heck? What the heckity heck? No, the reason I say heck and heck um, is something I actually got from Game Grumps because it's something that Aaron's wife Susie says um, when the the when she's rare she's rarely on episodes anymore because they don't do stream train anymore. But um, when Susie is on there, like she she will say like what the heck and heck, <laughs> and it's something that I picked up from Game Grumps because I just thought it was really cute. Um, so that's that's the origin of heck and heck. Um, but yeah, I write for the Geeky Waffle. I write for Wealth Geeks. I write for Dork Side of the Force. You can find all my shit there. Um, 
And I'm also part of For Light and Dice, which is a tabletop role-playing podcast. I have converted other people like Gene. <laughs> Watching Gene and Charles conspire just like, gives me happiness. I saw that, um, yep. Um, but it is a cool podcast that I do with a bunch of really awesome people, and it's a Star Wars tip-top roleplay game, and we really do roll dice, and we go on adventures, and we're having a really good time over there. So, yeah, this, that's some of the places you can find me. Boy, my brain is just, my brain just decided, like, in the last five minutes just to go, oh, just, like, shut down slowly. Um, because of you, it's your fault, cat, keeping me up at night. <laughs> Well, come back next week. Actually, you want to know a cool thing I found out about next week's episode? Yes. So, next week's episode called is called The Axe Forgets. And I was doing a, a article for Wealth of Geeks about, like, best and or quotes. And I found out that the quote, The Axe Forgets But The Tree Remembers, is actually a real-world quote from a, I think it was a Zimbabwe myth. Huh. And I thought it was really fascinating. Um, I, I'm going to double check that because I don't have it in front of me. I know it's from Africa. I think it was from Zimbabwe. But it is a real world line from like a parable um, in their culture. Um, so I just thought that was really cool. So I'll definitely put that in next week's notes if you know if I remember. If not, hey, you heard it here. <laughs> heard it here first. There you go. Um, so yeah. Come back next week, and we shall talk about The Axe Forgets. Yes. Bye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.com. Two True Freaks is always spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. Two True Freaks and all of its excellent affiliates are available on iTunes, and you can choose to subscribe to either the entire network if you wish, or pick whichever individual shows you want to follow. We have so many shows to choose from, there's just bound to be one that appeals to your particular fandom. Just search Two True Freaks with an exclamation mark at the end, space, and the number two. You can find Two True Freaks on Facebook. Just search for Two True Freaks. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? If you've enjoyed our show, please, won't you take a moment to rate us on iTunes? That helps others find the show, too. Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two Two True True Freaks. Freaks.